Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a Friday. And actually, don't look now. But do I see Mark as you look to your left? For those that are unfamiliar in our studio, Mark would be facing slightly to the southeast. I, I face basically to the northwest, Kevin to the northeast. Do I? Do you see a little bit, Mark, of a, Mr. A Sun? hue of sunshine? Mr. Sun might be coming out a little bit. Mr. I Black see the Riley here, right? Towers for the first time since Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting a tree ready on Monument Circle. Week from tonight. Yeah. Circle of lights, baby. Pacers Nets, 8 o'clock tip. Week from so, tonight. So, uh, a good couple weeks stretch lined up before us, and that includes the Colts and the Eagles, the 9-1 and one Eagles. Now, is it 8-1 and one or 9-1? and one? Uh, I think 8-1. Eight eight. The yeah. one-loss Eagles coming into Indianapolis. And interesting comments yesterday. We touched on it earlier, Kevin, but Reggie Wayne um, gave some interesting comments about the coaching changes that took place here within the Colts organization. Yeah, there's kind of two different Jeff Saturday-related comments that I thought were particularly interesting from Reggie yesterday. We'll start with just what has Jeff brought, and this kind of falls in line to what Paris Campbell shared with us earlier in the week, but I'll read this quote here from Reggie Wayne yesterday on Jeff Saturday, uh, and I quote, His leadership, that's huge, holding guys accountable. Not saying that Frank didn't have these things, because I think Frank had them also. They just do them in different ways. Jeff's not afraid to go in your face and tell you, that play, you sucked. Not every player can handle that, but as a former player myself, if I suck, I want somebody to tell me. I don't want to put bad film on tape. I think in that regard, most players will respect that, and Jeff's not afraid to challenge guys that way. End quote. So again, that falls in line, I think, with the Paris Campbell comments we heard with us. I thought the other thing that Wayne said yesterday, and this gets more into his relationship with Jeff, um, he was asked basically, you know, do you think Jeff would want to do this permanently? And one of the first things Reggie said was, the Jeff that I know likes to be at home. So maybe that's changed, maybe it hasn't. We'll obviously play the season out and see what happens, but um, I thought it was just a reminder of, I mean, Jeff Saturday at some point is going to have to ask himself if he wants to do this too. Sure, the Colts and Jim Mercer will have a decision to make on their end. I think knowing Jim Mercer and his emotional attachment to Jeff Saturday, I think um, he will give the benefit of the doubt to Jeff if he wants to do this and will offer him some sort of role in the organization. Um, again, about a month and a half left in the season. we got a lot to play out with that. But I don't know about you, Jake, but you know, this time last week, I was mentioning I think it's kind of 50-50. Jeff Saturday is 50% consultant right now, and he's 50% I want to see if I can be a head coach in the NFL. I'm starting to kind of shift my 50-50 pie to a little bit more heavily weighted, this is a legit, legit head coaching opportunity. And I think he likes it. Again, will he like it after six more weeks of the grind and away from his family? We'll see. Uh, But I know Jim Mercer likes it and likes it a lot. Okay, two things that I'm going to offer strictly as counterpoints. I don't believe or have no reason to believe either of them is necessarily true. But two areas, if you were going to proceed with caution, Kevin, okay? When I was a freshman in college, I went to the University of Kansas. I pledged a fraternity immediately. Before school even began, I was living in a fraternity house, and we were there for three weeks before classes began doing the ridiculous things that pledges are asked to do, getting up, cleaning the house, doing yard work, whatever else. That's neither here nor there in terms of the legitimacy of why I went through that. But nonetheless, my pledge class and I, in this case, would be like, say, the team, the Colts team, were going through all of that stuff. It wasn't necessarily fun. I guess it's designed to to bond you, whatever. But once the semester began, then the actual process of what what's called rush at the university began 
And long story short, we got two new Pledge Brothers like six weeks into our experience. So we'd been going through all the motions and getting up early and doing everything. And then these two guys all of a sudden just show up. And I remember one time, like, words were exchanged, scuffle broke out, whatever. And the narrative was like, look, man, we you know what we've been through and you guys just showed up and we're supposed to, like, embrace you and make you and, – and, like, you don't know what we've had to go through for the last three months and now you're just going to show up and act like you're part of us. And there was a resentment there. Now – in terms of Jeff Saturday, I think it speaks a lot to Jeff Saturday in terms of his immediate character and credibility that that doesn't appear to be the case. But if things don't go well, Kevin, I think that there is the possibility that you're going to have that sentiment among the roster of like, look, man, like we've been here since, where were you? When when we were getting up at eight o'clock in the morning and we were going out doing you know wind sprints in the August heat of Grand Park, like you were doing ESPN, man. You had your cush gig in the air conditioning. Where have you been? I don't think that that is necessarily a legitimate point, but it's. But I know from experience that those things that those resentments can exist, and that would be my hesitation number one. If things don't go well on how that could backlash, and then Saturday faces a challenge in his unifying the roster. I, I, I'll interject just quickly and think. Jeff Saturday does not have freshman fraternity rush ego. I, I get that, and I get. I'm not a, saying Saturday, but I'm saying the rest of the. Yeah, roster. and I get there's a human element, but I think Jeff Saturday presented himself right away last Wednesday of a very like again, he was aware of that transparent guys. I, I, I know the it. elephant in the room. Yeah, no, I, I, I get, get it. how this looks, um, and I think that that immediate you know th- that first impression, first impressions last. Um, I do think Jeff made it really strong. Now, to your point, Jake, if things. You know, start to trend in a different direction. Win loss standpoint, that's going to influence something. Now, the second thing is this: there has already been backlash. Is the wrong word? Eye roll or one eye focused on the process by which Jeff Saturday was selected as the interim coach of the Indianapolis Colts. You, you're going to hear the word and the term Rooney rule a lot. Understandably so. That's a, le- that's a rule within the National Football League that in a coaching hire, you have to hire at least two minority candidates in the process. Interview. What did I say? I'm sorry. A hire. I'm sorry. Interview, yes. Interview throughout the hiring process. That does not exist. That rule does not apply to interim hires. Jim Irsay knows the rules, and Jim Irsay hired Tony Dungy, the first African-American Super Bowl winning coach in NFL history. And then Jim Irsay hired Jim Caldwell as the replacement for Tony Dungy. So Jim Irsay knows the rules, and Jim Irsay, I don't think there's any concern about Jim Irsay not following said rules. But it's one thing to hire Jeff Saturday as an interim because the Rooney rule does not exist. But there is going to be, Kevin, and I'm not saying the Colts need to, to surrender to this, I'm not, but there's already been apparently one group that is looking into the process by which Jeff Saturday was selected as the interim. If he is, in fact, kept on as the head coach and hired full-time, they're going to have to go through the interview process anyway, not just for minority candidates, but just in general to give themselves as wide a scope as possible. But if he is selected as the head coach, then I do think you're going to have people that are going to say, yeah, they went through the window dressing, but come on, man. this was The fix was in from the beginning on this deal and yada, yada, and there's going to be some percolating discussion about that. Yeah, there certainly will, but I do think Jim Mercer's track record um, speaks for itself. I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, yeah. I'm simply playing devil's advocate right. here. I totally agree with that. Yeah, and I understand that, and clearly it looks like – you know. It, it, I don't even think it looks like Jim Mercer did play favorites, you know, with this initial hire. And again, we'll see how it plays out. Something I want to get into a little bit later, Jake, you've been, you know, for several weeks now, the Colts are going to beat the Eagles. Curious if that is more just undefeated team has to lose at some point sort of feeling the Colts win these sorts of games, or if there's a little bit more to the specific matchup Colts versus Eagles and why your belief is there. Mark, you said the line is back up to a full touchdown. Yep. 
Yep, Eagles seven point favorites. So it's gone eight and a half to six and a half, and then what do we think? Maybe Indomiting Sue and Linvald Joseph has pushed maybe, it up to a maybe. touchdown again. Pushed the Colts seven. injury report, few more names on it due to illness. So we'll see how that plays out with kickoff a little bit over forty eight hours away. A uh, lot to get to with Greg Gregstraw next. Semi state night around the state here. Again, the state finals. I got my team. I'm all in on a week from time. Any of your team still alive? No, unfortunately. You went with three of them this year, right? Shelbyville, Short Ridge, and North Central are all on the sidelines, but that's okay. North Central's looking for a new head coach, right? They are. Um, they got to go. Actually, I think the head coach is staying on until December to help with that process, I, what, for whatever that means. Kevin, o, Kevin O'Shea, is that his name? I think that's right. Um, but yes, North Central looking for a new head coach. But Short Ridge, Shelbyville, they're all, this wasn't the year that they wanted to shock the world. All of them back next year with a vengeance. Good, yeah. Tapping into <laughs> the transfer portal. That's right. That's right. And, and uh, Matthew from Maine, he says that it is Qatar. He deals with that, that, that oh, that's part right. of the country. He, correct. Or, uh, that, that part of the world, I okay. should say. So we'll talk to Greg Gregstraw about what NFL team will Greg Gregstraw compare the United States men's soccer team to? That's my question for him. Okay. Do we have any guesses? Mark's thinking hard. Well, I was trying to think of a team that's not going to be very good. I, I was like, could the U.S. be like the Cincinnati Bengals from last year? Or is that very wishful thinking that's by me? That's very wishful thinking. I'm going to say the United States in the World Cup is, or are, which which is it with soccer? <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I think it's R, which just sounds so weird. Denver Broncos. Oof. I, oof. Miami Dolphins? Ooh. No. Oh. That's that's Tua a, and that's going above expectations, I would say. Okay. Maybe the Jaguars. Oh god. They Boy, get a couple man. they get a couple okay. wins, Ari- Arizona Cardinals. Gosh, the optimism here is not Arizona need, Cardinals by the let's fact go get that get a like, Tony Katz scarf. Depending on who you think who you ask, some people say really good, other people say no chance. So whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, Greg Gregstraw. He joins us every Friday at 8 o'clock. As always, a ton to get to with Rake, but we've got to start with the World's Game. Once every four years, the World Cup, the United States, takes to the pitch in Qatar. Am I saying that right, Rake? Is it Qatar? Mm-hmm. I have heard both. I say it. I pronounce it as Qatar. So okay. close enough. Okay. Um, the question that I had for you, and I'm not sure if you were listening before the break, uh, could you compare the United States men's national team entering the, this World Cup and their expectations to a current NFL team and their season so far? Oh, that's, a, that's a good one. Can I come back to that at the end of the segment to give myself some time so I'll be thinking of something else while you ask me other questions? Is that okay? Gosh, your ability to multitask is unbelievable. Uh, yes, and we do have a few in the YouTube chat that have offered up some suggestions. Right, give, so Give me some of the suggestions, and I'll see if I can agree or debunk them. Go ahead. Okay, um, the New England Patriots, this was from, who was it in here? Joel, maybe? Saying that they are a balanced team, can compete with anyone, but not an elite team. The New England Patriots have way too much of a track record of success to be the U.S. men's national team. I'm sorry. So it can't be the Patriots. Jeez, oh, boy. Um, Jake, who did you say? Arizona? The Cardinals? Arizona Cardinals. Young team that has some talent and this specific group, while they have delivered with some important wins in CONCACAF, like the Nations League final, like the Gold Cup final, haven't delivered on the world stage, so there might be some merit to the Arizona Cardinals comparison. Okay, what about how about Colts? last last twenty years New York Jets? I think the U.S. men's national team has actually had more success than the last twenty years New York Jets, having made the quarterfinals in two thousand two, having reached the group stage in two thousand ten and two thousand fourteen. Then again, the the butt fumblers did at least make you know like an AFC championship game or two. Okay. I, I I would still think that U.S. men's national team greater than sign New York Jets. Really, I, I that's surprising to me, Rake. You would say that. Yeah, yeah. So I expect the instances of any butt fumbles from the U.S. men's <laughs> national team, though. So uh, 
expectations should be where? Like, can we get out of the group? England, can, yes. Wales, um, Iran, or Iran. I, I, I think uh, Iran uh, is how you know you should Iran, say that. Thank you, Gilmer. Uh, um, but anyway, um, <laughs> if if they can beat Wales or even draw with Wales, they've got a shot. So I, I think the first match is the most important one. England's going to be really difficult. Now, the last time the U.S. and England played, it was the 2010 World Cup. Uh, played to a 1-1 draw. Um, England's frankly a better team now than they were 12 years ago. They've got a, a great dynamic surge of young talent on their squad, much like the U.S. has. But all those guys play at the Premier League and, and typically have been playing in kind of more important positions, even though the U.S. now has players at bigger clubs than they've ever had anywhere else in the world. Uh, that's going to be tough have to beat Iran. Last time they played Iran in the World Cup, 1998, it was the last game of the group stage. U.S. knew they couldn't qualify for, for or last game for, for the knockout rounds and got beat and basically finished as the 32nd team out of 32 back in France in 1998. So I think this group is 50-50, maybe a little below that because Wales is pretty good too. Um, but if they can get a result against Wales on Monday, they got a really good shot. Okay, <clears throat> I finally got it. You ready? Yes. The 21st century San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. Again, there is something to that. That is a pretty good comparison. Like you kind of, every year you're like, this is the year they're going to make noise, and they're they're good, but they don't get as far as people think. But occasionally, yep. Belgium, you know, for example, they'll, they'll have some game where, you know, they, they hang around, right? Who was it that... Um, in 2012, who was it the U.S. beat that, or they were level with that was the big surprise? Um, Belgium eliminated them, right? Yeah, Tim Portugal. Howard. Was incredible. It was Portugal, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm trying to make 2014 would have been the year they got out of the group of death. Or 2014. Um, so Portugal was they, who they, they tied, had right? Portugal beat, and Ronaldo had a late header. That's right. To 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 at least you know put that match on level terms. Got beat by Germany, but managed to keep this managed to get the goal differential intact where they could advance on to the next round. And then a really good Belgium team they took to extra time and eventually got eliminated by Belgium in extra time. You know, the one thing I know about that Belgium team is it's hard to get anything straight at them because they waffle a lot. That's the one thing I know about them. Uh, Greg, Monrovia is like 6-7, and seven and they're in the quarter, they're in the semifinals here for the football uh, championships this weekend. Going to be a cold night tonight, but a fun night in high school football. But I'm intrigued by Monrovia just because the record jumps out at you. What's been the difference? Uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, being healthy is one thing. Having a team that that plays a really good schedule in the Indiana Crossroads Conference is another. Um, so those things, you know, clearly have a hand in it. Um, probably a better team than the record would indicate, but simply a team that got hot at the right time. They also had some upsets in in the other half of the bracket. Uh, two best teams in their sectional were likely. Western Boone and Tri-West and Danville knocked off both of those two teams the first two weeks. And then Monrovia got Danville in the sectional championship. But a combination of factors. And while it's going to be a tough ask to go beat Lawrenceburg, who has won 11 consecutive games and has barely been allowing points the last 11 weeks, they beat an undefeated team last week in Owen Valley. And so if Monrovia can do that, they got a shot to win in Lawrenceburg tonight too. Uh, Greg Gregshaw with us, ISC Sports Network, obviously Colts postgame show host as well. Uh, where will you be tonight, Rick? So my game, I'm taking a walk down memory lane. I'm going to do Ron Colley in East Central. Ooh. This is the fifth time that these two schools have met for a semi-state championship. All of them have been in St. Leon in southeastern Indiana. And I did the call of the game for Ron Colley 19 years ago. A game that is still discussed on both sides to this day. It's known as the two-point conversion game. Ron Colley was trailing 29-28 in the first overtime. Hit an extra point, roughing the kicker penalty. Ron Colley sends their offense on the field, takes the points off the board. They go for the win from one yard out. Tim Sergi, goal line plunge. You literally have to start pulling bodies off the pile closest referee or official to it signals two-point conversion is good. The folks from East Central don't think he made it in. The folks from Ron Colley think they do, or they simply say, well, referee called it, that's close enough. Ron Colley won 30-29 and went on to cruise against East Noble in the state championship the next week. That was the second of three consecutive state titles under Bruce Cypress back then. So this is almost like Ben Davis and Penn, about 15, 20 years ago, 
It's turned into a rivalry. Even though the schools are not close to each other, they're separated by 74 miles. It's gotten to a point where it's a rivalry so much so that they try to play each other in the regular season. And so these two teams played in week number nine. Ron Colley won that game by two. So this should be really a, a, a good football game. Two teams that love to run the football. I think it's going to be physical. I think it's going to move quick. And I have no idea who's going to win that game uh, down at St. Leon tonight. And that's the stadium you see uh, from 74, right? That is the stadium. As you're heading to Cincinnati, you, you, you see the Batesville kind of athletic complex 15 miles earlier. You absolutely see the stadium at East Central, exit 164, State Road 1, on your way to Lawrenceburg. Okay, my Irish tonight. I, first off, I love Tech High School as a, a venue um, yeah. to watch a high school football game, so thrilled to see it's there. Center Grove and Cathedral. Uh, boy, after last week, Cathedral, well, I guess Center Grove had a challenge with Warren as well. Cathedral got enough in the tank, you think? Well, I think they do. I think both teams are on level footing, and obviously it's also a rematch. Just like Ron Colley East Central is a rematch of week number nine, so too is Cathedral and Center Grove. Cathedral stages this massive comeback to hand Center Grove their first loss to a team from Indiana in three years. Um, again, I, I don't think there's any way to truly prognosticate this because I think the two teams are so even. Probably think there's a little more talent um, at the top end on on Cathedral, probably a little more depth for one to twenty two on Center Grove, and so by moving it to Tech, um, it takes kind of field conditions out of it. Um, Cathedral's put a lot of money into Arlington uh, to, to, to to make that a, a better playing surface, but it's still grass compared to turf. And frankly, because you move it to Tech, there's a lot more people that can actually go to the game, and I expect that atmosphere to be insane just east of downtown later tonight. Greg, I heard a couple of people ask, or a couple of people asked me, actually, be, because the weather turned so quickly in the last week and suddenly we went from, like, you know, fairly warm to just flat-out cold outside, there was some, a couple of people asked me, like, hey, is there any way the IHSA would move games from Friday night to playing in the daytime on Saturday? Now, that seems a moot point because tomorrow is going to be just as cold in the daytime right. as it's going to be tonight, and it's actually looking like a pretty nice night out. But I, am I correct in saying this is unusually cold for the, the state semis, or is it like this every year and we just forget? No, it, it's hit and miss. Like, again, I'll go back to that Ron Colley East Central game in 19 years ago, temperature in the 60s that afternoon. He's kind of got a rare warm semi-state there have been semi-state rounds played in the snow i think back to five years ago we had a cold front come through there was a handful of saturday games that year because usually when the evansville schools have to come up and play in the indianapolis area they will always ask for a saturday game when the indy schools go to evansville it normally goes the other way around well anyway um saturday afternoon there was a, a cold front that came through. Like, literally, there was a storm delay at the IU game that afternoon. There were several storm delays in some of the games that started, like, were early kickoffs on Saturday. I happened to have Danville and Evansville Memorial. The, the storm kind of blew through beforehand, but, but so there was no lightning in the area. But there were these walls of water and, like, 30- and 40-mile-an-hour winds, and it was – one of the worst two weather conditions I've ever had to call a football game in and, and had a dramatic impact as to what each of those two teams, you know, could do offensively. So it, this round of the tournament, sometimes it can be cold, sometimes it can be warm. It is very volatile, hit and miss as to what the weather can be. But it, it's not going to be, um, you know, maybe the coldest semi-state on record. There's been worse weather conditions than we'll play in tonight. Love these comments in the YouTube chat. Rakestraw's memory is unbeaten. Dude is a steel <laughs> trap. <laughs> Say it convincingly, people will believe you. <laughs> Greg Rakestraw is with us here. Again, IC Sports Network, Ron Colley, East Central. Shifting gears to Sunday. That climate will be controlled inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. Rake, I've been saying all week long, when you look at where the Eagles were at um, this time last week and just how beat up they were Monday... I feel like I'm a little bit more optimistic about this one than I was a week ago. Again, knowing what happened on Monday, and now it's a short week, they're kind of scrambling, making some moves on their defensive line. And I feel like you exit Sunday. Granted, the opponent was the Raiders, but that was probably the best I felt about the Colts' offense all year. I think this is a very pivotal game. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you go, well, hey, it's, it's, it's maybe one of the best teams the Colts are going to play on their schedule. And I'm not saying I feel any differently about the Eagles in terms of their quality of team just because they suffered a loss for the first time. Now, do I think the commanders offered the Colts a blueprint as to how to play that game with 49 rushes? Absolutely, I do. I think it will be a heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor until the Eagles prove that, you know, that, that they can stop it. Um, but because of everything that transpired the week before last week's game, the result that we saw, I now think that this game will kind of dictate what the rest of the year looks like for this football team. You know, if the Eagles come in and just thump the Colts, we'll kind of go back to the same old Colts, and it'll kind of be, all right, this is still a very flawed football team, and they're now two games under five hundred with six games left to play. You saw how good Tennessee looked again. The division is likely gone at this point, regardless. Just kind of further cements, all right, you're probably really playing for 2023. After last week, there is a flicker of hope that you're still playing for 2022. And so if this team can get a win at home against the Eagles, who are a very good team, but not an unbeatable team, now we have a completely different outlook over the course of the six, last six games, even though there's a lot more good teams than bad teams remaining on that schedule for the Colts in those last six games. If they can get a win here, now we're talking about still trying to eke out maybe that last playoff spot in the AFC. You know, Kevin, you mentioned this earlier, and I, we failed to get to it. Greg, I want your thought on this. I've been saying for like a month that Philly was going to come in here and get beat. Yep. But at that time, I was saying it assuming Philly was unbeaten and that they would come in because there just seems to be something about, and maybe this is true of a lot of franchises, I don't know. The Colts are the one that I cover. And typically there are games where the Colts have an opponent, you know, Kansas City or a couple of years ago going into or, or taking on New England here, you know, whatever it might be. They seem to beat teams and be like spoiler a lot where you just kind of write them off and they hang around and kind of give you almost like a false hope that they've gotten things turned around. And I just felt like everything was set up for Philly to come in here and stub their toe. My concern, though, Greg, is that coming off of the loss, we're going to find out. That's either going to send Philly into another direction like it did Arizona a year ago, or it was Philly's wake-up call and the Colts are in real trouble. To me, And, and let's face it, we are also giving you the time of the year where you start to do some scoreboard watching. And as much as coaches go, nah, we're worried about this game, but now we're worried about this team, there's this thing called the internet. You guys can, can, can figure this stuff out. Um, because of being one by in, in both conferences now for the number one seed, well, the Eagles are tied on record um, you know, with the Vikings. Because of how surprisingly good the NFC East is, uh, the fact that Washington's the worst team, they're five and five. You know, the Cowboys, where I think are six and three after their loss, the Giants are seven and two. You know, there's not exactly a lot of cushion between Philly and the teams behind them in terms of not only being maybe playing for the home seed, but frankly playing for a home game. Um, and so, you know, the, the 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 fire has been turned up a little bit because of that loss. So. Um, there is one to prove kind of to the NFL world, hey, we're still the best team in the National Football League because they were deservedly getting those plaudits going into last week's game. But also, you've got a very competitive division race. probably going to go all the way down to the last weekend or two of the season. So there's external motivation and a couple of different factors for the Eagles to pick it back up Sunday afternoon at Lucas Oil. Rick, last one for me. Kind of wrapping our... World Cup chatter at the top with you know a topic that hasn't gotten a ton of play this week, but could here in a few weeks. Better chance the United States makes it out of their group in the World Cup, or the Purdue Boilermakers are playing for a Big Ten championship at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, in, what, two weeks? I think it's Purdue. And, and, and again, let, let's go to the group that Purdue is in. You've got Northwestern and IU. 
you've got the Bingo Free Space Society coming up the next two weeks of, of, of the season. And I know that you have gone through the permutations. Iowa has to lose basically to Minnesota, right? That, right. Minnesota or Nebraska, Minnesota being the you know more likely. Exactly. Um, and so, again, I think, I think USA's chances are 40-60 in terms of getting out of a group. 40% they get out, 60% they don't. I think for Purdue, it's like 75-25. And I know that losing to Northwestern or IU would be like the most Purdue thing ever. I, I get that. I know the history of stepping on the banana peel. I understand it completely. But I think Purdue gets a better chance of playing in the Big Ten championship game. Greg, my last question then would be this. And I know that neither one of us certainly knows this. This is conjecture. But if Indiana goes another year where they start out, you know, first month and a half unbeaten and then don't win a game and lose like nine straight to finish the year, does Tom Allen's buyout save him or does he, does in fact that conversation start taking place amongst the people that have the influence for it to take place about? Again, I think the big difference is boosters are willing to commit money towards a buyout, or as Tom would say, towards the and the you know name, image, and likeness program. Uh, you can pick, figure out which direction that money should flow to help boost up the Indiana University program. Um, but I'm not sure that money is there for football; that's there for basketball. Right. If something goes haywire with a basketball hire, you can make about five or six phone calls, and that money is going to be found. I don't know that same passion exists for football. So to your larger point, do I, do I think the, the buyout that Tom has means he's back as the football coach here next year? I do. I do too. Um, and, and Greg, the thing to me that's astounding is Indiana seems to be overzealous and willing to do what they have to when they get any sign of life out of a football coach, but then they don't think about the fact that that money also would be necessary. In other words, they have the money to lock a guy down, but they don't seem to have the money then to make a change when it's needed. And, and I would almost say it's almost kind of a bit of a shell game, too. And, you know, the Indiana's credit, and there's obviously television money, Big Ten Network money, uh, and has played a factor in this. But just as, I, I wouldn't even say Indiana has caught up in terms of the facilities arms race, because they're never going to have the big outs, they're never going to have the horseshoe. But, you know, they made Memorial Stadium, you know, a lot better and made the weight facilities a lot better um, and, and frankly made them, you know, much more power five quality than Mac quality, which is what it really was before, if, if, if not even that level. But as soon as you do that, now we're in this whole entire new world where the arms race is picked up and it's not just about facilities. It's straight about the Benjamins. It's about what you can legally pay players. And that's even further divided Indiana has between what they can do and, 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 and what others in the conference can do. So um, do I think I, I know your stance on Tom Allen, and I'm not so sure I disagree with it, but I also think there's some other extenuating circumstances in that just as Indiana thought they had it figured out, the game changed on them, and, and now they're to some degree back to square one. You going to La Rosa's in Batesville tonight? The debate is going to be, is it Skyline when we get there and La Rosa's on the way back? <laughs> is it La Rosa's on the way down? And married to a Cincinnati girl, and having spent a year and a half living in Cincy and commuting back to Indy on a regular basis, I can tell you Batesville is the official gateway to Cincinnati. Like, Greensburg is really an extension of Indianapolis, even like all of their rivalries are kind of to the southeast in the Eastern Indiana Conference, in which East Central is a part. But when you drive down to Batesville, and, this, and you literally from the interstate can see La Rosa's and Skyline, you officially hit Cincinnati at that point. No, it's Queen City heaven at that point, right? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Again, Greg Rakestraw tonight, ISC Sports Network, Ron Colley, and East Central for a trip for the state championship there, 5A state championship, or 4A state championship 4A. Yes, sir. Um, there. Rake, as always, thank you, my man. I'll see you in the press box on Sunday. You got it, fellas. Take care. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Thank you to Shelby Materials for making it possible for Matt Taylor to join us each and every Friday, previewing the Colts. Of course, the voice of the Colts. You can hear his broadcast here on Sunday on this radio station, Eagles and Philadelphia. Matt, I'll begin with this. It feels to me, and I want you to to opine on whether you agree with this, two teams in Philadelphia and the Colts, one that I'm very curious to see if they can continue the trajectory that they were able to get underneath them with the win in Las Vegas in the case of the Colts and to see whether or not that redirects their season for them and the other in Philadelphia that I'm curious to see if stubbing their toe for the first time and getting beaten by Washington redirects them as well and if they go the form of kind of what Arizona did where they got out to a great start then you lose a game and all of a sudden vulnerability catches up to you but I'm curious with these two teams, it feels like this is a game, we've said this about other games in the past, admittedly, that can kind of channel which way they go from here on out. Am I putting too much into that? No, I think it's fascinating for uh, a lot of different reasons, like you just mapped out there. I mean, the Colts are you know, feeling good about themselves, and you know, Jeff Saturday comes in, and he's like the guy, he's like... Uh, triple a or like who's your helper you know like you got a car you got a dead car battery on the side of the road and he's like the jumper cables and breathes some new life into your battery and gives you some some new hope and some new juice and his leadership and fresh perspective certainly worked i think on a short week for him because really he didn't hit the ground running until tuesday um and i know the raiders are the raiders and i totally understand that right they're two and seven and they're on a three-game losing skid but the end of the day, the right they're still an NFL team, and they've got you know some really good football players on both of their units. So, good win for the Colts, especially on the road when you have to travel almost all the way across the country. And it got loud there uh, at times on Sunday. I mean, it was a good environment. So, I think the Colts should be you know congratulated for that, given you know all that was thrown on their plate. And then you got the Eagles. And to your point, Jake, you're exactly right. And, and you, the the NFL put this out the other day. In NFL history, teams to start 8-0 and or better and play on the road the week after losing their first game are a combined 3-10 and in the, the, uh, in the ensuing road game. Um, so, listen, I mean, I understand that, that that has nothing to do with the Eagles. You know, it's all about situational, and it's, it's uh, circumstantial game-to-game. Um, but, you know, there is, there is history that says, you know, when you get off to a fast start and you hit a little bit of a roadblock, you know, teams have to deal with adversity and they have to deal with the fact that they're no longer invincible. And I don't think the Eagles uh, are invincible. I think they're far from it. They got some chinks in their armor. Um, They played good football to this point. There's no doubt about it. I mean, their stats on offense and defense sort of bear that out. And then when you watch the tape, you see the playmakers like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts being able to kill kill you on, you know, on the ground, running the football and throwing the ball. but they, they, I mean, listen, any given Sunday, and the Colts are plenty good enough to take advantage of the Eagles if they play some good football. Um, but this is a great, I think, um, you know, game in, in terms of the Colts win. When the Eagles have the ball, you're going to have great on great because you've got Philadelphia, who's top four in total offense, and the Colts, who are top four in total defense. Um, so it's, it's a real treat, sort of that game within the game when the Eagles have the ball. Uh, but you got eight and one, four, five and one, and uh, two teams that are on completely different paths in terms of how they got here. Um, but obviously, Philadelphia trying to win a very competitive NFC East, and the Colts are trying to climb their way back into the playoff picture in the AFC just in general. And he's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Mate, to kind of going back to Sunday, as you were alluding to, I felt like f- for arguably the first time all season, offensively you got support you supported your quarterback and your quarterback supported you and you didn't need like the no huddle aspect to maybe mask things like the no huddle going that path you know it's just not something you can do week in and week out and you had that against Jacksonville a month ago um, but that's hard to I think replicate every week and think oh we're gonna catch this defense by surprise I just felt like that's where the you know positive encouragement comes from on Sunday, sure, the Raiders are not going to be the opponent every week, and that's unfortunate. But from a supporting of Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan supporting you, I thought it was the most complimentary aspect to that offense you've got all season. Yeah, that's the word that you just hit on. It's, it's complimentary. And, and the Colts, I thought, 
looked like on Sunday, like I thought they were going to look like all season, dating back to training camp. You know, when Matt Ryan inked the deal in the trade to come over to the Colts, this is the offense on Sunday is what I envisioned back in March when, you know, these two uh, sides, you know, married up and, and got together. And, you know, it was quick rhythm. It was simple. Uh, the game plan wasn't too much. And I thought there's no coincidence that Matt Ryan had his best game of the season where the offensive line had their best game of the season. They protected well, right? Only 28, there was 28 pass attempts and only one sack and one quarterback pressure on Matt Ryan. And even the one sack I don't think is completely all on the offensive line. Sort of some miscommunication there on a third and one and plus territory on that first drive of the third quarter. And then, you know, we know what happened after that. You missed a field goal. So, I mean, good on Parks Frazier, too. I was thinking about this the other day. Parks Frazier in his first game, first game ever at any level calling plays, he realistically dialed up a 30-point effort. I know they only scored 25, but they had the turnover, the lost fumble at the plus 20, and then you missed a field goal when you're right on the cusp of the red zone um, there, again, on that that first drive of the third quarter. That's six points, at least six points right there. Um, So that should have been a 30-point effort by the Colts which, again, would have been by far um, you know, their best uh, game of the season in terms of complementary football, the pass and the run, because they scored over 30 against Jacksonville, but it was all pass, like you said. They had to go no huddle and had to sort of just come up with an identity that day to beat Jacksonville, whereas in this game, the Colts were balanced. They were over 400 yards, 200 passing, 200 yards rushing. Jonathan Taylor had his best game. And maybe the Colts have found something up front along that offensive line with Bernard Ryman at left tackle and Will Fries at right guard. We'll see going forward, but listen, it's the Raiders. I know that, but it's still an NFL team. And given what the Colts had to go through last week, um, that was a really you know inspired performance. And we'll see if they can back it up against the Eagles. If they win this game, then I think the Colts are on to something. I really do. I think if, if they can pull this one off at home, beat the Eagles, send a message that, hey, Jeff Saturday's you know, found some sort of mojo and, and the Colts are really kind of buying into his leadership and that camaraderie that he's installed inside this locker room. Then all of a sudden, hey, you're, you're at Thanksgiving and you're 500 and you got six games left. Anything can happen after that. I know the Colts have a really difficult schedule down the stretch, um, but this, this could be exciting if they get this win. I think if they get the victory on Sunday, then maybe I think they're capable of making a realistic push here. You know what's confusing to me, Matt, and I was going to ask you about whether or not they open the playbook up a little bit more now as Parks Fraser gets more comfortable, but I'll, I'll shelf that for now to piggyback up something you just said. In terms of Jeff Saturday and the camaraderie, the leadership, the chemistry that, that can be created underneath him, I don't dispute any of that. But what's curious to me is those are the things that, like, when, when people talked about Frank Reich and what why they were excited that he was the head coach of the Colts, before X's and O's, before those other things, the things that you would always hear, he's a leader of men. He's a man of great faith. He's a guy that, that people want to play for. The players like him. People respect him. So do those things just eventually fall mute? Is that what it is? I mean, because that was everything that I heard about Frank Reich. So why now is that's what is that what's needed under Jeff Saturday? Right. No, it's a, it's a really good question, and and I don't. I think you'd have to ask the players. Um, I think they would have to give you a better answer because they live it. Right. They're they're in the locker room every day. They're at practice every day. They're in the meeting rooms uh, with their assistant coaches, and and you know with with Frank obviously overseeing the offense. Um, so they're going to be a, a better you know pool of, of people to ask. Now I'll tell you, we talked about this last week, and I think it's fair to bring up because Frank did come in and establish a really good culture. You know, there was a culture of of uh, character and high standards and doing things the right way. Um, you know, holding yourself uh, accountable, holding your teammates accountable. But I just think that. Jeff Saturday does it in a different way, and he's only been here for whatever it is, you know, 12, 13 days. Um, and he is just, he's got a different, fresh perspective on it. And I also think, I think it's fair to wonder the other way, Jake. I think it's, okay, how long will this last with Jeff, right? How long right. will the newness of Jeff, um, you know, how long will that linger before Jeff's uh, mentality and his demeanor becomes, you know, uh, normal, if you will, because I don't think it's there yet. You know, I think I think Zaire Franklin said it pretty well last week, either before the game or after the game. It's like you know, as a kid, 
you know, you're in your house and you're playing and your mom says, you got to pick up your room. You got to pick up your stuff, pick up your room. You got to organize it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then all of a sudden, like your aunt comes over and she's like, pick up your room. Like, what are you doing? Like, let's go. All of a sudden, like your ears perk up and it's like, it's a, it's a different voice telling you to do something. So I think that's sort of what's going on right now with the Colts. And, and, and Jeff's a guy that leads in a different way. You know, Frank is more stoic and, um, sort of like in the line of a Jim Caldwell or a Tony Dungy, and Jeff's not like that. You know, I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to go about it, but they lead in different ways. And Jeff's going to get on your butt. He's going to get in your face. He's going to do it in a constructive way, where he's going to build you up at the same time, where he's being critical. Um, but I think right now you have two different personality dynamics at play: Jeff Saturday versus Frank Reich. Um, you know, I mean, Rick Carlisle talked about it last week, you know, with, with Larry Bird coming in, you know, I, what, what did Larry say? It's about a or six year shelf life or a window before the message starts to get, uh, you know, diluted a little bit and guys sort of not tune out, but, you know, just sort of understand like what's said before what's even brought up. And I think maybe that, I, I don't know, you'd have to ask the players, but I think Jeff Saturday is, is new and fresh enough where he has, the locker room's full and, and um, you know, undivided attention, I think, going into this game against the Eagles. Yeah, I thought Paris Campbell put it really well earlier in the week with us. You know, did we need a new voice or did we need Jeff's voice? It's probably a combination of both. I think a lot of yeah. it is just the new voice you see NFL teams often. The Carolina earlier this year, you know, interim coach, boom, here's their immediate jolt. Now it's, right. you know, can you sustain that again matt taylor voice of the colts uh one o'clock colts and eagles this sunday our coverage will begin at 10 o'clock i actually think jmb live at bullseye event center starting at nine uh, may let's get into a little bit more eagles specific stuff you know if you look at monday i've been saying all week long i thought they got beat up i mean they played 83 defensive snaps that is an astronomical number and I think it's a big reason why you've seen them with their run D struggles signed Linval Joseph and Ndamukong Sue this week the flip side of it while that I think is an on paper advantage for the Colts I do think this Philly offensive line is really good and with the quitty pay injury we know the Colts are stout in the middle of their defensive line but it's time that Dio Dangbo really really steps up I thought he had some flashes against the Raiders but I think that is a subplot to this game where when you've played Denver, when you've played Kansas City, your D-line won those matchups against the mobile quarterbacks. Can you do it against this Philly O-line? Yeah, no question about it. I mean, you're going to have to uh, uh, you're going to have to get after this quarterback, and you have to kind of pick your spots, and you have to be disciplined because Jalen Hurts very dangerous with the football in his hand, and he's a guy that can turn a third and eight into a five and six second long play and scramble and get a first down and it's just so demoralizing to give up a play like that i mean jalen hurts last year led all nfl quarterbacks in rushing uh he's top five this year um i think he's over 750 rushing yards last year um so he's very very dangerous now he's going to want to pass first but he's in that you know class of, of new uh, wave age quarterbacks where you know athleticism, mobility, that dual threat that's definitely in play for him. So yeah, the Colts defense line is going to have to play very very big. They're going to have to be aggressive, but also balance discipline at the same time with their rush lane. It's like kind of playing like you know Russell Wilson you know earlier this season in Week Five against the Denver Broncos. Uh, but the good news is is that the Colts defensive line has is you know they're on the come here as of the last couple of weeks with. You know, Grover Stewart having a Pro Bowl season. DeForest Buckner, I think, has at least a half sack in five out of the last six games. Unique Ngakwe uh, is, is playing better both against the run and being more impactful in the, in the pass rush game as well. Uh, but without Quiddy Pay and, and Tyquan Lewis, I mean, those are two big losses for the Colts. Those are two really important, you know, rotational pieces that the Colts are down. So year number two for Dio Adangbo, it's time for him to show what he can do. I think he's going to play a very important factor in this game, um, trying to establish some sort of pass rush because the Eagles, you know, they're, they're solid in, in both the run and the pass, but they're not going to blow you away in terms of, you know, statistically in, in both of those categories. But what they do have, though, is just playmakers. Guys make plays when the game's on the line. Situational, red zone, third down. A.J. Brown, Smith, 
uh, Goddard before this past week. He's not, he's not going to play on Sunday against the Colts, which I think is a big break. Um, but they've had just guys that just go out and make plays at critical times. And you have to have that when you go out and, and, and you know, you, you speed out to an 8 0 record to start the season. So, really important that the defensive line plays well in this game for the Colts. Matt Taylor is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Matt, let's go back to what I was mentioning earlier. You know, Jim Irsay had said after the game against Las Vegas that one of the things I think that he kind of liked, to be honest with you, is they they just simplified their offense. And it's understandable. you got a new head coach. you got a new guy calling the plays. So they just kind of went back to the basics. That obviously worked for them with Jonathan Taylor springing free being a big part of that. Do they start to give Parks Frazier now a, a little bit bigger of a playbook to sample through? He, he hasn't gotten yet to the Cheesecake Factory menu, but <laughs> are they going to go to a variation thereof? I hate going to the Cheesecake Factory because it's like an hour and a half for me to decide what <laughs> yeah, I want. Exactly. They give you a phone yeah. book. And you're like, wait, what? Just give me the odd pages today. I'll do yeah. the even ones next week. <laughs> so I like going to the diner and my cousin Vinny because it's just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if the Colts playbook was that simple last week. But, uh, yeah, I think it's 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 natural that, that Parks Frazier is going to have to graduate to more you know things at his disposal. But at the same time, you also have to play to your strengths and I thought that's what the Colts did so well last Sunday against the Raiders. They just kept it simple, and the RPO game was great. Jonathan Taylor to establish himself. But I think also, too, they're going to have to just naturally add some more wrinkles in this game uh, because of who they're playing. Nick Sirianni and Jonathan Gannon uh, really know this offense, especially Nick Sirianni, because he was the coordinator of it. Uh, with Parks Frazier on the staff for three years. So those guys know each other really, really well. And, you know, they're both, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, disciples of, of Frank Reich in this offense. So they got a lot of, you know, Frank's DNA uh, as a play caller in, in both of them. So they know sort of what the tendencies are. And Parks is going to have to do a good job of sort of self-scouting himself and self-scouting the, the Frank Reich inside of him knowing here's what I would do, here's what Frank would do, here's what Nick thinks I'm probably going to do because of our history together. So he's going to have to deviate away from that. So it's it's sort of a double-edged sword for Parks this week. He has to self-scout himself. He has to scout Nick Sirianni's tendencies within him. And then he also has to know what he can do to take advantage of this Eagles defense just principally you know, watching their players on film. So I think from that standpoint, it's a fascinating dynamic in terms of who the Colts are identity-wise in this game and what they can draw up on offense with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Yeah, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, 1 o'clock, Colts and Eagles. What This is the final 1 o'clock game at home until the finale, right? Oh, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because you got Pittsburgh. A and then couple the Monday-nighters. On a Monday night. Yeah, a couple Monday-nighters. And then, yeah, you got uh, January 7th or 8th against the Houston Texans. Probably going to be a 1 o'clock game given how their season is going. So, ah, I don't want to I don't want to think about those late-night games. You got at Dallas in there, at Minnesota might be a primetime game. I don't like staying up late. I like to be in bedtime. I like to go to bed Such at a reasonable an old time. Man. You know me. I know. You know me. Come on now. I figured you'd be up late watching replays of – Ron Colley's season here, the Ron Colley season yearbook. Yeah, you got any East Central memories? Rake was sharing them earlier with us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we played them twice. So my junior and senior year, we actually played them twice in the playoffs. If I'm not mistaken, when I was a junior, uh, we were fortunate enough to win state both of those seasons, junior and senior year. But I think we played them in the regional and overtime down there. And then my senior year, we played them in the semi-state another game that went into overtime my senior year so I'll, I'll make this i'll go as quickly as i can my senior year we go into overtime they get the ball first they score uh we get the ball second we score i'm the holder on the pat team uh, i look at the kicker they've been rushing us pretty good on on pats and field goals for the entire game i look at the kicker i said if anybody gets near you just kick it through the uprights and then go down so I, the snap comes to me. I put it down. He kicks it through. Sure enough, he gets roughed. We take the point off the board. Look at the this. Do you have a soccer background, Matt Taylor? What's that? Do you have a soccer yeah, background no telling people to fall down and get a yellow yeah. card? Well, I mean, I said, you know, like, let's 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 get the win here. Because I knew what we were going to do. Like, if, 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 if we get a penalty, 
you know, we're going to run our offensive line and we're going to run power toss, you know, <laughs> off tackle left or right, and we're going to get in the end zone and go to state. So we took the point off the board, half the distance to the goal, and we got stalemated at the goal line. And then a couple of our offensive linemen pushed the tailback across the goal line, and we got a two-point conversion for the win to go to state. Yeah, so you and, flopped and, your and way to state. That's cool. Never, they have never forgotten about it down there. I wonder why. They still, they still think that, you know, their defense held and – uh, they stopped us. Now, I think Ron Colley ran power toss for 2,322 straight plays at one point. What number were you, Matt? <laughs> I was 12. Number 12. So you were the quarterback? Uh, I was. I played as I played all over. So I played offense and defense. I was the backup quarterback, but thankfully I never had to, to go in the and, game to play quarterback. And if you had to, by 11 a.m., if you had to present both of your state title rings, would you be able to know exactly where they are right now, get them, and present them? Or have you put I them on eBay say, already? Oh, I hate to say this, but I can only account for one of them. I only have my senior year. Did I don't you, know. Did you Tim Riggins' father the other one? What's that? Did you Tim Riggins' father the other one and throw it out the car? No, I've got both medals, but I only have one ring, and I'm sick about it. Did you hit on hard times your junior year there and had to put that bad boy up for auction? <laughs> yeah, I needed some steak and shake money. I had to take, <laughs> yeah. I had to take my date. I had to put gas in my car and take my date to steak and shake after the game. Yeah. You're craving the late night pizza in Franklin and just <laughs> had to. Here's the thing, Matt. Ring. When you're in the basement doing fake radio shows on your 45 record player, you need any buck you can get to impress the chicks, my man, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, I, I was cash at that point. I was cash poor. I, all I had was assets. <laughs> Mate, Dale, see you later today, and then obviously Sunday up in the press box. Have a great call. All right, boys. All right, see you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I realize, guys, the NFL wants parody. But man, you look at this week's lines and that's pretty much what you get. I mean, a lot of basically pick em games. Chicago and Atlanta being one of them. I tell you what, Mark, that I might be going there for a lock. Yeah, I mean, with, with your Bears, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd agree. The Bears giving three, I, but that's in Atlanta, right? It's in Atlanta. Yep. Don't tell me Atlanta's some hostile environment. No. Anything else you guys like? Lock front NFL. I got one other one that, I, okay. that I'm thinking about. Carolina is getting thirteen, and I Baltimore's obviously good, and it's in Baltimore. But that's just such a big number in the NFL. I would take Carolina just because getting 13 is a huge number. Anything, Mark? Uh, Bills minus eight against the Browns. Now in Detroit, I think the Bills will thrive at Ford Field. And then the Chargers plus five against the Chiefs. Yeah, that's I feel like I'm the going. Chargers play the Chiefs really tough. I'm going to go Chargers. Um, the Bills want, I think, something to monitor. I, I hope that's right, Mark, because I have the Bills in a survivor, but... The Bills have got like six guys in the injury report with illness, mm-hmm. so they got to, they cancel practice for today. I yep. assume that's weather that. related. It was weather related, yeah. That I mean, there's something to keep an eye on. Havoc has been wreaked on the Bills this week, uh, unquestionably, and they've got a short week, right, to turn around because yep. they're they got to stay in Detroit, which I guess they're doing. Scotty had said. Um, the one other one to me that, that's the Rams and Saints. The Rams are only giving three. And you think to yourself, like, oh, man, Rams win that easily. But, but you know, they're stuck in the mud, man. Well, is Matt Stafford playing? Yeah, I was going to say, what, what's Stafford's And they lost Cooper Cup. Yeah, they're That'll they're be something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't touch that game. Um, Indiana pulling off a 10-point upset at Michigan State? <laughs> no. Uh, I think Jake's laugh probably says it all, right? Dexter Williams, is he going to start? If, if he starts, I think Indiana has a chance. Indiana... They'll cover. I'll bet you they cover Indiana against Michigan State. Purdue covering 18 and a half at home with Northwestern? No. Purdue wins but doesn't cover. That's a lot of points. So Purdue's got that at noon, and then they want to row their boat at 4 o'clock. Minnesota at home against Iowa. Those two results go Purdue's way. They win the bucket. They go to the Big Ten 
championship. Um, okay, let's do Colts and Eagles to round it out. It's fluctuated a little bit, kind of right around a touchdown. It's back to seven points, Mark, you said? Yes. Last, last I checked, it was up to seven, yeah. Mark Dykton, who you got? I love Jeff Saturday. I like what I saw from the Colts last week. I think the Eagles lost to the Commanders was bad news for the Colts. I've got the Eagles resetting, refocusing. They win 31-17. Ooh. So you got a cover there. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going 27-23 Eagles. Um, mentioned it a few times today. I just think their offensive line deserves a little bit more credit. Um, again, I, I do think they're beat up. This is not a game I thought would I would predict something so close a week ago. I think the Colts have a blueprint, but um, I think Jalen Hurts makes one more play late. I, I have said forever that the Colts are going to beat the Eagles. And I kept saying, but I kept saying the Colts are going to beat the undefeated Eagles. If you look at what the Colts did over time coming off of a loss, it's about 50-50, but Philly doesn't lose two in a row. They actually do win 30-24. Jay Query with the curveball late. Everybody have a great weekend. Talk to you Monday.